teacher this morning. I'm Les Terrell. This is um, the Wisdom Seekers class at the Father's Church. I've always thought it odd that we put in Dallas, Texas, but maybe there will be another Father's Church someday. <clears throat> what? Does this seem loud to you? No? <laughs> so, I'm here today to preach to you. And if you look up that word preach, what it means is to herald. You know, back in the day before we had newspapers and the printing press before Gutenberg, we had heralds. And heralds would go to the town square and they would stand up on the stump and they would herald the news of the day. Everybody knows that, right? That's where the term herald comes from. And when you look at the scripture, when <clears throat> we are told to preach the good news, that means to herald, to stand up on our stump and preach the good news. And the good news today and every day is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? It's always interesting after we have a time of ministry and outreach where we go into other nations and bring forth the Lord's word and the revelation that he's given us because I oftentimes reflect about the ministry efforts and the attempts, whether I was there or not. Of course, we're all in it together as we learned last week. But I think about um, the experience as a whole for the individuals that were there to receive the word but also for all of those who went out to herald and to preach the word. And so I've been reflecting on this time of ministry that has just ended, and I was reflecting back to um, the time of testimonies that we had on Wednesday evening, and um, <laughs> I couldn't help but think about the testimonies of the safety that the Lord provided when Cece toppled backwards on a pastor and knocked everybody down the escalator. And then I reflected about um, the fact that I believe this was Cece's first ministry trip. Monica's shaking her head, yes. Um, and it may very well have been one of the first times that she's gone abroad. And I know that Cece and Kathy stuck close together and also reflected on Amani's enthusiasm for being on this trip and how she allowed herself to be used of the Lord. And she was just um, exuberant, you know, when she shared her testimony. And that is a testimony to us, right? But you know, um, when we go on these trips, we have some individuals that are seasoned travelers, seasoned ministers, uh, those who have gone through this, it's not their first rodeo. They've prepared, they've prayed up, they've, they've um, honed the message that they wanna bring. But then we also have some that are not as seasoned, right? And you know, the enemy can, can come in and try to dissuade those individuals, you know, come up with excuses why I can't go on this trip. You know, I, I, know I'm, I know the Lord wants me to go, but I can't go because I can't afford it. 
And you know, these, these um, outreaches, especially now that we've gotten beyond COVID, can anybody say praise the Lord, are going to be increasing. We're going to have more of them. We've got one coming up into the south of France before long, and I know there will be others. We've, we're already talking about more ministry work in Brazil. And these efforts, these outreaches, um, they require laborers, right? Laborers for the harvest field. And what I would say um, to those listening today, and probably not so much those in this room, but I really feel the whole time I was putting this message together that the Lord gave me to put together, um, I really felt like it was for somebody not here, or maybe for people, you know, more than one, hopefully, <laughs> um, that are not here that may be listening to this either currently or listening to it later. But, you know, the, um, the fields are white for harvest, okay? The earth is ripe for the sowing of the seed of the Lord. The people are hungry. And I know that um, Jesus told us the laborers are few, and certainly, um, back in the day, he had 12 disciples. <laughs> you know, there were other laborers too, but today I believe that we have certainly more laborers, but also our population is bigger, so maybe on a percentage basis it's still about the same. But we have within our network laborers that can go out and that can share this word, that can, just like Amani, that can share. Um, her enthusiasm, her testimony. And how many of you know, and I know we, we, we have times of testimony, but you know, when you hear um, one word of testimony that really resonates with you, isn't that like a seed that goes down into your soul? Right? It is. And the Holy Spirit waters that and causes fruit to come forth from it. So what I would say to those who are listening is um, when the Lord tells you to go, don't start trying to rationalize in your human mind, you know, a way out if you're fearful. Because the Lord says in his word, fear not, right? Most often repeated command in the Bible. Just obey. Just say, I will go. If he says to go, I will go and prove him now therewith, because he will cause it to come to pass. If it is his will and his word to you to go, he will make it happen, okay? There may not be any way for you in your own thinking, but the Lord can make a way. Amen? Amen. You know, I started thinking about, um, again, along the same theme about... Um, Big decision points in our lives, right? When, when we decide to get married or we decide to have children or we decide to change careers, any of these big decision points that we have, we oftentimes will want to wait to act until things are perfect or close to it, right? I don't want to have kids until I have enough money in the bank, right? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to get married until, you know, I can afford for my wife to not work. I mean, we start, we start manufacturing. Our brains are, are, are very great. They're creative. They're wonderful. 
uh, but, but it's easy for us to start fabricating things in our thoughts and in our minds that are not what the Lord wants, right? And so I started thinking about this concept of perfection. And, you know, the Lord does not demand of us perfection. Praise the Lord. Can anybody say amen? There was only one perfect man. Okay, and Zach, I'm sorry, it wasn't you, brother. Close. <laughs> so it's about partnership. It is not about perfection. And so the Lord led me to um, talk about a couple of, of people. He used, I mean, don't you love the fact when you read through the Gospels that the Lord, he used fishermen. You know, he used tax collectors. I mean, he used, um, he used the Samaritans to show us what can be accomplished in the land, right? The, 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 the enemies of the Jews, right? And the Lord just wants us to partner with him. He does not ask for us to be perfect, and he doesn't ask for the circumstances to be perfect, right? We read in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus came and spoke to them, to his disciples, and he said, All power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. <coughs> And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Go and teach all nations. Um, the word teach, of course, means to make uh, learners, make pupils, okay? We, if, if you're make disciples, that's what disciple is. If you're a disciple, you're a learner, okay? And we are to teach those who want to be learners, and maybe those who don't know they want to be learners, but they get that seed planted in them, the Lord waters it, and all of a sudden they are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, right? They're that seed. They have dry ground around them, but there's that seed planted in them, and the Lord wants us to go forth and to disciple them. I love Isaiah 6, verses 5 to 8. <clears throat> Isaiah, um, he says, Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs, from off of the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. When it comes time to go out and to minister, to partner with the Lord in preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth, if you get the call from the Lord, again, hopefully 
everybody in here would obey. The only thing you need to say is, here am I, send me. Don't start questioning how's it going to happen. Just say, here am I, send me. Amen? <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I find comfort in the fact that when I read the scripture and I read of mighty men, I, I see how imperfect all of them were, right? We think about <clears throat> King David, a man after God's own heart, right? We, we, we think about the city of David. I mean, we think about the Lord not destroying all the tribes. He, he keeps a remnant because of his son David, right? <clears throat> but you know, David was a murderer. He was also an adulterer. He was a man of blood. But he was also a man after God's own heart. A couple of passages I want to read about King David. <clears throat> uh, the first is Old Testament, 1 Samuel 13, verses 13 to 14. So the prophet Samuel says unto Saul the king, You have done foolishly. You did not keep the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For even now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for him a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people. Because you have not kept that which the Lord commanded you. You know, the Lord wanted to care for his people, Israel. He wanted to be their God. But then they wanted judges to be in the land, and so he set up judges in the land. And then they decided they wanted a king to rule over them, right? So he gave them a king. And it just digressed from there, right? Saul was the king that they had gotten, and um, we all know the story of King Saul. But Samuel tells him here the reason why the leadership is going to be ripped from you is because of disobedience. Right? You know, disobedience is something that we all face, I think, in life, right? We we <laughs> we read in the scripture, the apostle Paul, I know the things I'm supposed to do, but I don't do them. Any, anybody else in here find themselves in that position? You know, I do. I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but oftentimes I don't do it. Disobedience um, is, is a, it's, it's a, it's a problem, and it will lead to bigger problems. Uh, it's not, we can seek to avoid it, but we'll disobey anyway. And what we need to do, though, is, and we'll see here in a minute, <clears throat> like David, uh, when we've been disobedient and we realize it or it's brought to our attention by a prophet, confess, yes, I have been disobedient and repent of it and turn from it and the Lord will forgive. Right now, he didn't let Abraham go into the promised land because of his disobedience, right? So there, there may be a long-lasting uh, manner of correction that you face, but it will restore that relationship and it will allow the Lord to continue to use you which is what we want, 
in partnering with him to fulfill the purpose that he has for each of us individually and for the saints corporately. Amen? <clears throat> Acts 13, verses 20 to 24 So after he had given them judges for about 40, I'm sorry, for about 450 years, and then Samuel the prophet, afterward then they desired themselves a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. So Saul was king for 40 years. Then when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. When we are after the heart of the Lord, then we are there to fulfill his will, not ours, his will. Of this man's seed, as God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. So we know the story. John the Baptist came, preached repentance. The end is near. Jesus comes on the scene. You know, we think about, um, when we think about David and his, his, um, his sin, it's a mighty horrible story, right? It started out with a glance, and it ended in murder. We know the story of Bathsheba. We know of the adultery. We know of the murder. But because David had a heart for the Lord, he confessed and he repented. And his heart what was restored and made new and was aligned with the heart of God. And it's easy sometimes when uh, we sin, if we don't confess and repent, our hearts can get hardened, right? And that doesn't do anything for getting our hearts aligned with the Lord. I mean, it makes it harder for us to... Um, get back in alignment with him. As a matter of fact, our hearts may have to be crushed, turned into contrite, right? To get back into the spirit and into the wind of the Lord. So, um, King David was not perfect. His son Solomon also was not perfect. King Solomon was the wisest man that has ever lived. Amazing. We'll read 1 Kings 4, 29 to 34. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. And there were some smart people in Egypt, by the way. I mean, it was the center of, of all kinds of creative genius. He was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, 
and Heman, and Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all nations round about. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, many of which we have written in our Holy Bible. And his songs were a thousand and five, again, many of which we find in Psalms. You know, I've read this before, we all have. It says in verse 33, And he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springs out of the wall. I've often wondered about that. He spoke of trees. Okay, no big deal. You know, I mean... Speak of the grass, speak of the bushes. But this, you know, the, the, the message that we heard from Shay and the trees and just the, wow, the spiritual concepts we learn of the tree. I have to think that when Solomon was speaking about the cedar trees and the trees of Lebanon and, the, and even the, the hyssop that sprang out of the wall, he was sharing these uh, concepts. He spoke of beasts and of fowls. He spoke of creeping things and fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth which had heard his wisdom. So, you know, the other rulers, the kings, many of which were, you know, smart, many of which had, you know, kind of fought their way to the top, they all came to hear of his, his wisdom. And I think we all... We all love the word, right? But I also really love this story in 1 Kings 3, verses 5 through 14 that we'll read now. It's the story of the, the dream that Solomon has. And Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And he said, Ask me what I should give thee. Zach, if the Lord came and asked you what you would have him give you, what would you answer? You know, we all should think about that. What would our answer be if the Lord said, What, what do you want, Monica? You know, we should think about, about that. Solomon did not um, say, let me think on that and get back to you, Lord. Solomon said, you have showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. According as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. You've kept him for this great kindness and you've shown him. I'm sorry, and you've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, Lord, my God, you have made thy servant king instead of David, my father. But I am a little child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. Your servant is in the midst of a people that you've chosen, a great people that can't even be numbered or counted because of their multitude. So give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart to judge the people that I might discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. He asked for an understanding heart. So much of what I find when I study the word is about the condition of the heart. It's a heart issue. Is our heart right? Are we asking from the heart? Are we praying from the heart? Are we seeking to partner from the heart? It's, you know, it's all about the heart. Verse 11, God says unto him, Because you've asked this thing, even you've not asked for yourself long life, you've not asked for yourself riches, you've not asked for the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to your words. 
Lo, I have given you a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, and there shall, there, and after thee none shall rise like unto thee. And also I have given thee that which you have not asked for, both riches and honor, and there shall not be a king amongst you that is like you unto all the end of the days. Okay? Even to this day, there's never been anybody like King Solomon. Verse 14, for me, is where the rubber meets the road. It says, And if thou wilt walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Now we know that Solomon went on to do great things in his partnership with the Lord, right? Great things. But we also find in 1 Kings 11 that he was also, I mean, just the, the fact that he was the wisest man, but also he was one of the most foolish, right? The Lord told him, if you'll just, it says right there, if you'll walk in my ways and seek to do my statutes and my commands, I'll lengthen your days. But in verse 11 of 1 Kings, I'm sorry, chapter 11 of 1 Kings, verse 1, it says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonians, the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord had said previously unto the children of Israel, You shall not go in unto them, and they shall not come unto you. For surely they will turn your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. <clears throat> you know, he, he was warned, right? I mean, you, you read about when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan to go into the promised land. It's, 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 I love reading it because, you know, today it's all, I mean, in our politically correct world, you know, um, things are so cushy and comfy and fuzzy. And when the Israelites went in to take the land, the Lord was telling them, you kill everything, man, woman, child, animal, everything. Pile it all up and burn it so there is nothing left. Why is that? Because these lands were worshiping foreign gods. They were worshiping idols. They were not worshiping the Lord. And the Lord wanted to cleanse the land, right? And he wanted to use his people Israel to do it. And we see time and time again how they went in and they, they killed all the men and they killed all the women, but they didn't kill all the beasts. You know, I mean, it's just, or, or they, you know, they didn't burn the booty, they saved some for themselves. I mean, it is about obedience and it's about the heart, right? Solomon clave unto these women in love, the very ones that the Lord had warned him, do not go in unto them because they will turn your heart after their gods. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 4 says, It came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not perfect. His heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. He went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. 
Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem. And he did the same for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. If you'll remember, Molech was the one that they burnt, they sacrificed their kids to in the fire, right? King Solomon built an altar for Molech. Likewise, did he for all of his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep that which the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said unto Solomon, As much as you have done these things, and have not kept my commandment and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and I will give it to your servant. However, in thy days I will not do it for David's sake, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. I will not tear it away from, I'm sorry, I will not rend away all the kingdoms, but I will also leave one tribe to thy son for David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Keep your heart right, obey what the Lord tells you to do, partner with him, and um, all will be well. Again, we can read throughout the scripture of the number of people that the Lord used mightily in partnership with him that certainly were not perfect. I mean, again, we know there was not any that were perfect. Hezekiah, the Apostle Paul, Samson. But it is about partnership, not about perfection, and that's what the Lord is looking for. And um, was it Moses that stuttered and Aaron had to speak for him? You know, it doesn't really matter whether you stutter or whether you're a Bible scholar, whether you're a seasoned minister, traveler, evangelist, teacher. None of that matters. All that it matters and why I belabored these two long passages is obedience, okay? The Lord can fill your mouth. He will speak through you, and he will partner with you and use you if you will partner with him. I want to read a passage that is not on your handout. This is another example of how we should act when the Lord speaks to us about going into a point of ministry. Chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 1. The Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make my name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and took his family with him. You know, the Lord told Abram to get out and go. 
He did not tell him where he was taking him. He just said, I'm going to take you somewhere. But Lord, where are we going to go? I mean, how can I start going if I don't know where to go? He didn't do any of that. He obeyed. And I think that when we obey and we step forward and step forth and go forth when the Lord uh, instructs us to, like it says here in verse 2, I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee that bless. I'm so, I will bless thee and make thee a great nation, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. When we partner with the Lord and we step out and we go to Brazil and we do our time of ministry, the Lord will cause that people group to become part of this great nation. Okay, We're kind of like in version 2.0 of this. Okay, Abram went out, took his family, became Abraham, the father of many nations. We're going, I'm not saying we're Abraham, but we, we likewise are saying, yes, Lord, we will go. We'll step out. We'll go wherever you call us, whether it's France, whether it's Africa, whether it's India, whether it's Brazil. We'll go, and we'll partner with you. And as a result, he is causing a great nation to be built, right? You can call it the saints network, or you can call it the saints. The, 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 the great nation is the body of believers for the end time. Okay, the same thing is going on right now. And when we obey like Abram, I believe the Lord will bless those that bless us and curse those that curse us. You know, if, um, if somebody curses you, we're supposed to shake off the dust of our feet and depart. Okay, we're also supposed to bless those who curse us and despitefully use us. So, Lord, bless them. I'm not going back, but bless them, right? also want to look in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, chapter 9. Um, we're going to read some red. Matthew, chapter 9, verse 37 and 38. <clears throat> Jesus, speaking with his disciples, he tells them, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jumping down to verse 5, Then these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter you not, but rather go to the lost sheep which are the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, which we learned earlier means to herald, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass for your purses, nor scrip for your journey. Don't take two coats, either shoes or staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatever city or town you'll enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there you should abide. <clears throat> and when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return to you. Whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet." 
Verily I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it is for that city. You know, thankfully, our pastor uh, is a man of wisdom and discernment. And um, what made me think about this, Pastor, is when we were having times of testimony, we were talking about the work that we've, we've done in Africa and India. You know, when we went into those lands to to preach and teach and disciple, um, the people were willing. They, they had a, a heart to receive. Um, but over time, that's been snatched away. You know, I, I don't know why, you don't know why, but it has been, it's been taken away. But you know, um, we've not poured forth more effort and resources there, okay? Because we have to have discernment. You know, where are we doing the good that the Lord wants us to do? You know, we, we can't keep, to use a carnal term, keep throwing good money after bad, right? You can't keep throwing good seed on dirty, rotten soil that's never getting tilled and watered and fertilized. And, I mean, we, 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 we want to speak forth the word and, and believe that, well, and pray for them because we, we know that the Lord can turn that situation but we're trying to partner with others to disciple them. I mean, you think about Jesus' disciple. He, he didn't find all 12 of them in a room and say, you 12 are my disciples. He found them one by one by one, walking down the seashore, right? Follow me, follow me, follow me. He was, a, he was assembling a group that would, that, that would sit under his teaching that he could mentor and, and that would go out and establish the churches in the day. And that's really what the Lord has us doing today. I mean, the Great Commission, right? Go out, teach all nations. So um, we are those laborers, and we want to help cause there to be more laborers to do the work for the kingdom. Um, and I also want to say that, you know, as we all know, and those listening to my voice, you know, we are not saving anybody, right? We're going out and planting the seeds. We're doing the work the Lord has called unto us. Salvation, that, that comes through the Lord and the Holy Spirit and, and that individual. But we are here to disciple and to teach and to make disciples of all nations. Amen. Matthew eleven twenty five to 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and the prudent. I think he was probably speaking of the worldly wisdom, you know, the wise and prudent, the doctors of the law. And he's revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me, of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father, neither knows any man the Father except the Son, and to whomever the Son reveals him. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." 
We've had some study about this passage and about the yoke and what that means to be yoked with the Lord. Um, just a couple of things that I gleaned from this passage. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Um, labor there, when you look at the, the word in the, in the Greek, it basically means fat fatigued or tired, uh, simply exhausted. Uh, and also it can mean to have, have burdens that are weighing you down and even some type of grief. So when we have those things that, you know, if you have that going on in your life, you're not real effective. I mean, if you're worried about something, Dennis, doesn't it weigh on you? I mean, you wake up in the morning, it weighs on you. You try to go throughout your day and be efficient in your work or whatever you do, and it just, it, it, it weighs on you. It saps your strength. It saps your creativity. It saps your productivity. But if we will come to Jesus and cast our, our cares, our heavy loads upon him, he will give us rest. And we know that, I'm going to have to get a drink, y'all. We know that rest, um, I believe you pronounce it anapueo, means um, a type of ease or recovery, uh, to be refreshed, to have a, a spirit of calmness about you, to be quiet, right? When we take those loads and lay them at the feet of Jesus, he brings that peace, that rest, that quiet. Um, and then he asks us to take our yoke, I'm sorry, to take his yoke upon us. And we've learned that a yoke, you know, it's like a yoke of oxen. There's this thing that attaches the, around the neck of the oxen and keeps them together. And I also um, started thinking about, <clears throat> you know, yoke also means to hitch together. And I started thinking about trains. You remember old school trains? You'd see they had these big hitches and like the the engine would back up and it would like bang into the one behind it and it would like hitch itself and then it would go forward and drag that whole train behind it. That's the image that we're supposed to have when Jesus says to, that we're to be yoked with him. Um, Dennis, hitch your wagon to a rising star, brother. You know, we've all, we've all heard something like that, right? We want to hitch ourselves to Jesus and to his uh, will and his ways. Go and learn of him and take that learning and make learners of others throughout the earth. After doing this teaching up to this point um, and thinking about discipleship and, and going in ministry to, to, to share with others, the Lord highlighted this concept again for me, which we've talked about recently, the Elijahs and the Elishas, right? Um, if we look around this room, with a couple of exceptions up here, most of us are older, right? Elijah was older. Elisha was younger. So when we think about Elijah and Elisha, I think about mentor and mentoree, right? Teacher, learner, Jesus, the disciples, the Elijahs and the Elishas. Because when we go out, um, 
I, I really feel, and I, I don't know that we had any discussion about this, and I'm, I'm happy to hear now, um, and maybe there was discussion and I missed it, but in the outreach that we just had in Brazil, were there a lot of young people? Yeah, a lot of young people. You know, I... We, we, you know, we've talked about the young people. You know, we've talked about um, even Noah being in, in California, these young people out there that the Lord has put around him that are, are on fire for the Lord. The places that we, that we go and, and, um, and have all these young people, those are the Elishas, right? So we need to step up to the plate and fulfill our role as the Elijahs. And I just want to read... 1 Kings 19, 15 to 21. And for everybody in this room, um, when we talk about these topics, I know these are things that we've heard before. They're topics that we have drilled down on before. But like I said, at the very beginning of putting this together, I really felt like this discussion was more for somebody other than, other than us. I mean, we all should get something out of it, I hope. But um, just bear with me, because I know we've talked about the Elijahs and the Elishas. 1 Kings 19, 15 says, And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou appoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat of Abimeloah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall slay. And him that escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all, knee, all of whose knees have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So Elijah departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, and he was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. That is an interesting picture in my mind, right? First of all, twelve yoke of oxen. I think a yoke is two, because there's two together, but even if it's even if, even if it was just six lines of oxen, have you ever seen an oxen? They are big, powerful animals, right? Oftentimes, only one is required to plow a field. And this guy, Elisha, is leading this yoke of 12 oxen. I mean, y'all, a yoke of 12 oxen probably could reach from here to the back doors. I mean, that's some serious work. Okay, so Elisha, I don't get this picture that he was any you know, slight little man, okay? He was, he was a strapping lad out doing hard work. But then this picture of Elijah passing by and casting his mantle upon him. I mean, did he just like walk by and like take this thing off and throw it on him? I don't know. Lord knows, and that's all that matters. But he casts this um, mantle upon him. And when he did, Elisha left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah, and he said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. Elijah must have been an interesting dude. He was a prophet, so I'm sure he was interesting. And Elijah looks at him, and he says, 
fine, go back. What, what have I done to you? Right? So he says, okay, go, go do whatever you want to do. But here's something I want to point out in verse 21. After Elisha tells Elijah, I want to follow you, but first let me go tend to my family and then I'll come. When Elijah, I'm sorry, when Elisha goes back, I want you to follow me here in verse 21. It says, and he returned back from him and he took a yoke of oxen and he slew them. Okay, these are the animals he was just using to plow this field. He killed them. He boiled their flesh. Let's see with the instruments of the oxen, and he gave unto the people, and they did eat. It sounds to me like he probably used these yokes were made of wood. They, they, they harnessed the two animals together. Uh, there was, you know, there were, most of the material that they used, I suspect, was made of wood. It was probably assembled with some iron or whatever. But he uses this, these accoutrements, right, to build a fire, he slays the oxen, which were the animals that were, he was using to accomplish his work. He builds a fire, burning all of the implements, and cooks his beasts and feeds his family. Now, have you ever heard it said, don't burn your bridges, right? You know, you don't want to burn that bridge. You might need to go back to that person and, and get a favor later. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we've heard about burning all the ships, Right? The captain says, when we make sure, burn all the ships. Why? He doesn't want anybody to be able to go back. And I think, I think that's what we're seeing here. Elijah casts the mantle on Elisha. Elisha accepts it. I want to follow you, but I need to go do this. He goes back. He kills the oxen, burns the implements. There is no going back to farming for him. He is going to apprentice with Elijah. And likewise, when the Lord calls us to do something, we need to burn the bridges. We need to burn the ships. We need to hitch ourselves to the Lord and go forward in his purpose. And do not even look back, or you might turn into a pillar of salt, Katie. Okay? That is a, I mean, to me, that's a vivid picture that we just saw there. Um, continuing in 2 Kings 2, verse 1, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went from, I'm sorry, went with Elisha to Gilgal. And Elisha said unto, I'm sorry, Elijah said unto Elisha, wait here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth, and as I so liveth, I will not leave thee. So then they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came to Elisha, and they said unto him, Don't you know that the Lord's going to take away your master from you today? And he said, Yes, I know it, but hold your peace. So Elijah comes to Elisha there, and he says, Hey, wait here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And Elisha says, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went to Jericho. The sons of the prophet that were at Jericho came to Elisha, and said unto him, Don't you know that God's going to take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yes, I know. Hold your peace. <coughs> Elijah said unto him, Wait here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. And Elisha says, As the Lord liveth, and as I so liveth, I will not leave thee. 
And the two went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by the Jordan. <clears throat> we'll pick up here in a minute. But when the Lord brings that Elijah into your life, young people, this is something you need to witness. Elisha was stuck to him. He would not leave him, okay? Now, uh, we may think that he didn't want to leave him because, and this is what I used to think, Elisha did not want to depart from Elijah because the chariot of fire was coming to take him up, and if he saw him go up, he would get the double blessing or the double anointing. That is not mentioned until after this, okay? Do you think it's fair to say <clears throat> that many of those that would be the Elishas today have a challenge with commitment? Anybody? Anybody? Not being able to commit is one of the big problems in our land today, okay? I mean, from marriage to relationships to, to, to work, it's huge. Not being willing to commit is a big problem. And so to all the Elishas that would hear my voice today preaching to you, what I would say is, if the Lord tells you to do something, if he brings... If you're fortunate enough that he brings an Elijah, make a commitment. Don't depart. This is a beautiful example. I will not depart from you. I'm going with you. Okay? So we have Elijah and Elisha standing by the Jordan, 50 of these prophets looking on because they want to see what happens. <clears throat> and um, in verse 8 it says, And Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on the dry ground, just like the Red Sea, right? And it came to pass that when they were gone over, that Elijah said to Elisha, okay, we're on the other side. Ask me what you want me to do for you before I'm taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And Elijah says to Elisha, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so unto thee. But if you don't see me, it won't be. <clears throat> so it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, now, I want you to read that. They have left the Jordan, right? Elijah smacked the waters. The waters parted. They went across the dry land. I'm sure the 50 prophets were watching this saying, holy cow, did you see what just happened? We haven't seen that in a long time. Elijah and Elisha had this discussion. Look, what do you want from me? I want a double portion. Well, okay. When the chariot comes to take me up, if you see it, you get it. They leave, and they start walking along the way, the road. 
just doing what they do, right? A mentor and a mentoree, walking along the way, talking about almost maybe even trivial things, just having discussion, meaningful discussion, but not earth-shattering, right? It says, as they still went on their way and they talked, behold, that's when the chariot of fire appeared. The chariot of fire did not appear when they were standing by the Jordan, when all the stuff was going on and all the 50 prophets were saying, woohoo, look what's going on. It happened in the mundane things of life. As they walked and talked, behold, that's when the chariot of fire appeared. The horses of fire. And those horses of fire parted them from each other. Okay, Elijah and Elisha, horses of fire come swooping down. They step apart, right? So now they're separated. And then Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And then he saw him no more. He took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. And then he took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and he went back, and he stood by the bank of Jordan. He retraced the steps that they had, the path that they had been walking down together. He goes back to the Jordan. And he takes the mantle, and he smote the waters. And he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had smitten the waters, the waters parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. It's interesting to me that when Elijah was taken from Elisha, he turns around and he retraces the steps. He's going back. He goes back to the Jordan. He takes the mantle and he does exactly what he saw his mentor do. He takes it off, he rolls it up, and he smacks the water. And what happens? The Lord does exactly what he did for Elijah. And I think that, you know, the whole purpose of Elisha's being linked up with and, 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 yoked with Elijah's is so that they can learn how to live and how to act and how to conduct the business of the Lord. And this shows us that Elisha was a good learner. He went back and did exactly what he saw his mentor do with the same effect. And then we know that he goes on to do mighty, mighty works. When the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah does rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed themselves to the ground before him. So Elijah had become as a father to Elisha. And this really is one of the first examples we see in the Bible of mentoring, teaching young people, right? The experience. Elijah's coming alongside the Elishas. And we too are called to be mentors and teachers, and we are to make disciples of all nations. <clears throat> you know, when we think about Elijah's and Elisha's, and we, we see that Elijah had become as a father to Elisha, and then we read this passage in Luke about, um, in the end days, the hearts of the fathers being turned to the children, and the children being turned back to the fathers. 
I'm reading a book right now called Uprising. And it really, the, 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 the gist of this book is that we are currently living in the most fatherless generation in the history of the world. Fit over 50% of children born today are born out of wedlock. Okay? You know, if you look at the ills that our society faces, many of them are due to fatherlessness. And you think about the enemy, you think about God the Father and Jesus the Son and the relationship of father-son. What greater attack could the enemy levy against our society than to, than to separate that, right? This, if, if ever there's been a time where the Elishas need the Elijahs, where the fatherless need a father figure, today is the day. We read in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. <clears throat> there appeared unto Zacharias an angel from the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Fear not, Zacharias, your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, or Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Again, speaking of living in a time that's version 2.0, <clears throat> this relates, because... John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he turned the hearts of the children to the Lord. Number two, though, then we read that he turns the fathers to the children. So you got the hearts of the children being turned to the fathers, the fathers being turned to the children. We see this restoration of purpose. I'm not saying <clears throat> restoration of individual relationships because many of these young people today, they don't know where their fathers are. <clears throat> They're not going to be necessarily, I mean, the Lord can do all things, I understand that. But in terms of restoring that parental relationship, that's not what we're looking at. What we're looking at is restoring the relationship, the father-son relationship. Because it's in that relationship, that Elijah, Elisha, that father-son relationship, God the Father, Jesus the Son, that purpose is fulfilled. Right? 
And the third thing we see in this passage <clears throat> is the disobedient will be turned to the wisdom of the just. The disobedient. Do you think there's any disobedience in the land today? <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? And when you think about just or justice, um, you know, there's a lot of causes out there today. The justice of the Lord is the only justice. That's it. And we want those disobedient souls to be turned to the justice of the Lord. And so I look at this passage today, and when, this, when these words were written, um, they, of course, were saying, John the Baptist is here, he's going to prepare the way of Jesus, and Jesus is going to bring a people into salvation, and they're going to be prepared for the Lord, right? Same thing today. We're the Elijahs, uh, we're going to be partnered with the Elishas, the fathers and sons, that, that, that spiritual bond is going to be reunited. Those that are living wayward lives and disobedient lives are going to see what's going on here, and they're going to want to come to the real justice. And then we are preparing a people for the Lord for the second coming of Christ. It is the end time. I mean, this is the end time harvest, and we're fortunate to be a part of that. <clears throat> I know we're running out of time, and I'm wrapping up. Um, it's 10.05. I'll take about five more minutes. Let's talk a little bit about prophecy. Um, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ, members and, and members in particular. God has set some in the church as apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Follow after charity, desire spiritual gifts, but rather, or that could be interpreted, but more so that you might prophesy. He that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands him. Howbeit in the spirit he makes, I'm sorry, he speaks mysteries. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification and to exhortation and to comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. I would that you all spoke in tongues, but even more so that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except for him that interprets that the church might receive edifying. We all are mature pneumatikos ones. We know the value of tongues and diversities of tongues. But, you know, I was thinking, Tammy, about prophetic presbytery <clears throat> and about bringing, you know, the, just the testimonies that we have heard from those that received a prophetic word. I mean, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. I mean, it can be earth-shattering life-changing. It can totally cause the ship to turn around and get going in the right direction, right? So tongues, diversities of tongues, proskuneo, all these things are so important because we are members of a body, right? There's multiple pieces. that It's like a puzzle. If, if you're missing one, it's not complete. It's all got to be together for it to be complete. 
But you know, you think about where this church body, the Father's church, is today. This church that used to be Lakewood Assembly of God. We go to Christian International in Florida. We participate in this prophetic conference. Was that after Brownsville? Okay. Before that, we go to Brownsville. So basically, the two defining things on the trajectory of our house was Brownsville Revival and Christian International, Bill Lackey, I mean, all the people that we partnered with there to, to, to learn about prophecy and the importance of it. And we had them come here and teach us. But when I think about prophecy, I made this little cute graphic for you on the last page. And please hear me. I am not diminishing in any way the other gifts. Tongues, diversities, none of that. All I'm saying is prophecy changes things. I know that speaking in tongues changes us. You know, it changes our relationship. But this, you know, a prophetic word given to a person in a, in a leadership position in Brazil, maybe it's the president, it could set the course of the whole nation on a different trajectory. Prophecy changes. It changes peoples. It changes places. It changes environments, right? If you walk into an environment to minister, and it's dark and, and oppressive and heavy, and you can feel the enemy looking in all around you, if the Lord gives you a prophetic word to speak forth, it can clear the room in a nanosecond. We've seen that happen, right? And for the young people and those that are new here, I want I put this for you because salvation, if you're saved, and the Holy Spirit, which you should be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you have been saved and you have the Holy Spirit, you are now prophecy-enabled. Period. You need guidance and you need coaching and you need mentoring and counseling. You need to come up under Elijah's that are proficient in the prophet of the prophet. But you are, you have all the ingredients you need to prophesy. And we read 1 Corinthians 14, 39 and 40. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. I think that may be the only passage in the whole Bible that tells us to covet something. Because there's a lot that tell us not to covet things, right? Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's car, his house, his money. Covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Last part here and I'm done. What kind of change can prophecy bring about? Ezekiel 37, 1-10. The hand of the Lord was upon me, carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the midst of a valley that was full of dry bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, I have no idea, Lord, but you know. And then he says to me, Ezekiel, prophesy upon these bones and say to them, O you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, I will bring flesh upon you, and I will cover you with skin and put breath in you so that you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. That's what the Lord told Ezekiel to prophesy. That was a mouthful. 
But then we see obedience in verse 7. Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And guess what happened? As I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. The bones came together, bone upon bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. The skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So the Lord said unto me again, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the wind, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that you may live. So, out of obedience, <clears throat> I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. They lived, they stood up on their feet, and were an exceeding great army. Would you say that prophecy can change an environment? I would say so. So that's what I had to share with you today. And in summary on your sheet, it's just about partnership. It's not about perfection. <clears throat> uh, the Lord is seeking somebody to partner with him. And I put this quote down here from Voltaire, perfect is the enemy of the good. Okay, if you wait till everything's perfect, it ain't going to happen. Right? God is good. He will use you if you'll partner with him. Let's choose to be yoked to the Lord at all times, hitched to him, <clears throat> learning his ways that we might teach others. And let's accept our role, us people in here, as Elijah's, to lead and mentor the Elishas that the Lord is bringing to us. Let's be the spiritual <clears throat> fathers that our nation and the world is so much in need of. And then lastly, <clears throat> we do acknowledge the importance of all spiritual gifts, all the pieces of that puzzle, but covet to prophesy. Walk in the office of the prophet, and let's witness the changes that can take place around us and throughout the earth as we give the glory and the honor to the Lord. Amen? Amen. That is the end. Blessings upon you.